0: to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 will be in verses 25 through 32. And as you're turning there, let me just go ahead and pray for us again, preach word that God might speak to us this morning, might work in our hearts, it might work in my heart. God, we come before you humbly. Lord, we have a, a weighty moment here as we sit before your word. This is you, the triune God, who created all things, who spoke all things into existence, who made the earth and all that is in it, who created us to be in fellowship with him and enjoyment of you. That is who you are. And yet you speak to us so kindly on matters of life and godliness, how we might flourish, how we might enjoy you, how we might walk before you, putting off the old man, putting on the new. So Lord, would you give us understanding? Would my words only be used by you? Would they be your words today? May nothing untrue come out, but rather would we simply be able to gaze into your word and behold your word, be changed as we behold your word. So Lord, would that happen today? Would you get the glory? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I was watching Lord of the Rings the other day. Some of y'all are probably like, yes, he's gonna bring up Lord of the Rings. It's my favorite thing in the world. Some of y'all may not be as familiar with it. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, you probably grew up in a different country or you were public schooled and lived in a different country. But if you're a homeschooler, I'm sure you've heard of it. In the first movie, Fellowship of the Ring, there's one scene where Frodo and his gang have been somewhat kind of captured by the elvish queen. I would say try to say her name, but I'd probably botch it, so I'm going to avoid that. Something really cool sounding. And they kind of welcome them, kind of capture them. And at night, Frodo's like sleeping. He wakes up, and this queen is walking. So he joins her, and they go to this like bowl, and she pours water in it, and it's actually a mirror. And this mirror tells you things if you look into it. It might tell you of your past, your present, or even your future. So Frodo looks in, looks into this mirror, and he's terrified. It's his home. It's the Shire. It's where he grew up. It's getting burnt down. His friends are getting captured and killed. And it's awful. Well, he backs out of it, and the queen says... This is what happens if you fail your mission. This is what happens if you fail your mission. Okay, imagine with me, go out from that, to imagine with me, you come to Risen Hope Church, and there's a mirror off to the side. You, you look in that mirror, and it, it shoots you about 10 years in front, 10 years future of Risen Hope Church. And it's kind of dark, you're walking through those front doors, You're not greeted by anyone. Everyone seems kind of cold, a little distant from each other. You come into the sanctuary, and maybe there's half as many people as there is today. They're kind of spread out, doing their own thing. Then the preacher comes up and preaches, and it's a a sermon not really about the Word of God. It's kind of to tickle your ears. It makes you happy. It makes you feel good. You leave. You go on and do life, and you run into these church members throughout the day and maybe they don't even act like Christians. And then you turn to one of them and say, "What happened?" And they look at you and say, "This is what happens when we don't put off the old man and put on the new man. This is what happens when you church member doesn't walk with the Lord or rather gives in to speech that is unkind. You give into to anger. You give into to bitterness. This is what happens to a church. And I think we'll see that clearly today as we jump into Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. So read that with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another, those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you." See, early in chapter 2, Paul said that we are his workmanship, God's workmanship created for good works. Ephesians says that we are a new people, we're a new building, we are God's children. And in verse 24, he lays this out, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So last week, Mike did a great job of out, outlaying the big picture of put off, put on. What Paul is doing here is giving us the look, the close up on our lives, the snapshot of our life and giving us how to be this new man. And I think there's five sections. The first one is new speech, new speech. It starts off with put away falsehood. This alludes to the previous section, as I mentioned, Paul, is dealing with the falsehood of life, right? We are living a lie. We're living, believing things about God that aren't true. We're living in such a way that we are lying to ourselves and to others. While we claim to be wise, we are fools. This is what we went over last week. And the contrast given is speaking the truth with your neighbor, This command is actually a direct quote from Zechariah 8 where the remnant is to be holy. The remnant, the people of God, Israel, are to be holy and known for truthfulness as they dwell in Zion, which will be called the city of truth. And in verse 15, we were told to be people who are speaking the truth in love. We are to be a people of truth truth we are to be truth people what comes out of us is to be true both in the way we live our lives and what we say to one another and this is where he gets into the motivation the gospel motivation for this in verse 25 look with me at the end for we are members of one another imagine lying to yourself some of us we try to do this. We're like, "No, this isn't reality. This isn't actually bad." And we and we lie to ourselves, and in the end it never goes well. Have you ever lied to yourself about something and it actually ended up going well? Well, this is what happens when we lie to other people in the body of Christ. We're lying to ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. Falsehood has no place here. When we lie to our neighbor, we are injuring our own body. Now, many of us may hear this command and we don't identify it as something we need. You're like, well, I don't really, I'm not a liar. I don't go about my life just lying. But how comfortable are we with the so called white lies? The, okay, well, I just twisted the truth, maybe a word we'd use. Now, that's just a, a white lie. You're at work. I just needed to tell them this so that I could you know, not get in trouble. Talking to your spouse, changing the truth. Maybe it's talking to someone and to their face you're encouraging and you're like, that's great and then you go behind their back and you slam them. You speak double-tongued. Or maybe you're exaggerating, taking truth and making it something it's not. Twisting it. Or maybe, kind of on the flip side, we avoid speaking the truth in general. Truth sometimes isn't pleasant. Remember, we're called to speak the truth in love. So it's not only a don't do this, it's a do this. Speak the truth in love. And you have an opportunity to do that all the time with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. D-group, community group, friendships this morning. Speak the truth about God, who He is. And who they are. And Paul is not only concerned with speaking the truth, but also speaking the truth in a wise, helpful, and grace-filled way. Read verse 29 with me. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting carries the idea of bad fruit, or a rotten fish. Uh, The other day I got in my car and was greeted by a very unpleasant smell. How many of you guys go fishing? And You've probably made this mistake. I had bought worms to go fishing, and I had put them in my bag and left them in my car. Well, when it gets 90 degrees and worms are in your car, they bake. And they rot. So I get in the car, and it hits me. I mean, it's just, imagine maybe more so like your freezer's gone out. And you open it for the first time, and the, the f- meat is rotten, and it's nasty. And that smell. Now imagine giving that to someone to eat. That's what we're doing when we speak corrupting words to our fellow members of our body. We're giving this and saying, yeah, this is for you. Eat it. It'll be good. What rotten fruit are you giving people in the way you talk to them? Jesus said that we'd be judged for every careless word we speak. James says that words are like fire. There's no room for this when we're talking about our own body or outside the body. I can be a sarcastic person, I enjoy it, uh, it's kind of a way of friendship, banter, things like that. However, sarcasm, if I don't watch it, can have a dark side, right? The old self can pop up. A sarcastic phrase can be an aggressive, passive aggressive cutdown. It can be a roundabout way of confrontation when I really don't want to speak the truth to them. I kind of want to like get away from actually doing that, so I'm going to make this sarcastic comment, and it really isn't going to help. And this is especially true if you're married, right? It's easy to shoot off, pop off words that you have intentions. You're like, well, maybe this will help, but really it's sarcasm. I'm just going to cut them down. Right? This is corrupting speech. This is what is not good. It's like handing to someone a rotten tomato or a rotten fish. And it affects not only them, but it affects the body of Christ. When you're at work, not only affects you, it affects your work environment, it affects your workers, your co workers, your bosses. But on the flip side, look with me at the middle of verse twenty nine. But only, so, but no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. Paul changes the metaphor, right, from rottenness and stuff like that to kind of this building idea, which Paul does often throughout Ephesians. And here he talks about building one another up. He's saying to speak, but speak things that help the other person put their life together in Christ. Give them a stone to add to the foundation of life. Give them mortar of integrity that holds their life together through wise counsel. And then this is reiterated in the last section when it says that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace to those who hear. And this is an incredible statement, right? Grace is undeserved favor. So Paul here is doing two things. First, he's telling us the way in which we're to speak, right? We're to be gracious in the way we speak. We're to assume the best. If you don't have all the facts, don't assume the worst. But assume the best in the way you come to them. Assume the best in the way you talk to them. Maybe parents with kids. You assume the worst in the tone that comes out of your mouth when you pop off something that they did. When in reality, they were just being a kid and didn't realize it was disobedience. Or maybe it's kids with your parents. You assume they're thinking the worst, and so you pop off something to them. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be grace-filled. But even more stunning than that is this. Grace can only be given by God, right? It's unmerited favor. Catch that, friends. God can use your words to distribute his grace. God can use your words to distribute his grace. How are we built up as a body when God uses our words to build each other up, to distribute his grace? And we have all experienced this, right? We've experienced this care from other people. I've sat across from many of you as I share something with you, and the Lord uses your well-timed, needed, gracious speech to bring about more faith and trust in the goodness of God in my life, right? This happens when we pray together, and we're speaking truth to each other, and we're praying over each other true things. We're giving grace. God is using that to give grace. And this itself the act of doing this is grace to our church. It's God's care for our church. That's why it's a body. We are the body. Christ is the head. It's this verse in practice. So let us press on, church, to intentionally, thoughtfully, by the power of the Spirit, speak these things to one another, laying aside all corrupting talk. Point number two we're to put on new attitudes. We're to put on new attitudes. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry. Kind of seems like a command. There's some debate about exactly why is he saying start off with be angry. And I think it's helpful to just understand it as kind of like. Okay, if you're going to do this, then something else, right? It's clear that anger in and of itself, in a righteous way, is not sin. God himself has perfect anger, right? So there's a righteous anger, so it's not all anger is sin. But Paul's concern is not necessarily with that. It's more about critiquing and putting guardrails on our anger, right? And James were commanded to be slow to be angry. Here, Paul is saying, be quick to get rid of it. It's a danger. It's a danger to us and this church when we let anger seethe in our souls, when we're awake at night thinking about what other people have done. And if you aren't convinced of the danger, danger, Paul goes on. Look with me at verse 27 again and give no opportunity to the devil. When we let anger foster in our souls, when we sleep on it, when we wake up and the first thing that comes to mind is what people have done to us, when the broken record of offenses is running through the courtroom of our minds, we are giving Satan an opportunity to have influence in our lives and in the church. The word opportunity literally means to give him room. So we are giving Satan a place in our lives and the ability to have influence over us. Romans twelve nineteen says it in a different way and about something else, uses the same word. It says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but rather leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When it says, leave it to the wrath of God, it means literally the same thing, to give it room. We're to give room for the wrath of God, right? The justice of God. We're not to take it on ourselves, but rather to give it over to God and say, God, you are just, you are perfect, you are holy, and I know that you will bring about justice, whether in this life on Christ taking the justice or for those who do not repent in the life to come. Eternal wrath. So we have two options We can either give room to Satan by holding on to our anger, becoming bitter, or we can give room to God. You feel the weight of that (laughs) centered around anger? When you're angry, there are (laughs) way bigger things going on than just your anger, right? The church is at stake. There's spiritual realities. The stakes are way higher than we often know so friends how are you doing with anger are you trying to hold justice in your own hands are you a hair trigger for anger in the home do you let hurts maybe it's your family maybe it's parents to children children of parents coworkers, neighbors are you holding on to those things, thinking that justice has to be accomplished in your mind, right, that's all you can do. You're just gonna run it through your head over and over and over and over again, not actually accomplishing anything. And friends, I, many of you have been hurt deeply, right? It's pain that many of us have never experienced. It feels so deep, it's like it'll never go away. You don't know what to do, and the anger just wells back up. You feel helpless. You feel trapped. But God has given us hope. Look at Psalms 4. It will be up on the screen. And this is where this verse is taken from. So Psalms 4 reads Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So how do we get from staying up at night, wrestling over our hurts and our angers, See, David had been oppressed. He was lied about. He was slandered. He was literally attacked. And how do we get from there to rest and joy and peace more than when wine and food abounds? I think it's summed up in verse five. Put your trust in the Lord. The lie of anger is that justice is in your hands. It's not. And praise the Lord. It's not. If justice was in the hands of man, there would be no cross, only destruction. Friends, find rest in the cross. Jesus died on your behalf for your sin, undeserved mercy, undeserved grace, undeserved forgiveness. Anger cannot grow in a heart flooded with God's mercy. I'll say that again. Anger cannot grow roots, and a heart flooded with God's mercy for them. This, friends, is how you go to bed in peace. This is how you lay down and rest. This is that rest that we are talking about today, the good shepherd caring for us. Point number three, we have a new work ethic. Look at verse 28 with me. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Share with anyone in need. Notice the progression, right? They are to put off stealing and start working with their hands, right? They're from going to using their hands to steal, hands to work. And stopping right there would be biblical. Work hard for the Lord is a biblical command. But Paul takes it even further, right? We are to, as Piper puts it, we are to work, to have, to give. And then also notice the underlying value system of the new self. We go from valuing things over people, right? We're willing to take from other people to valuing people more. We're willing to, to give of ourselves. And ultimately, it's a valuation of Christ, right? That we value Christ above everything in this life to where we can say, I counted all as lost for the sake of knowing Christ, and therefore I am able to freely give to other people. And then that's how we work. We work to have to give. So, where does your value system need to change? Are you willing to take from others for your own personal benefit? Or maybe. You've taken a step further of maturity. You work hard. You value working hard because that is what God has for us. You'll work your tail off, and that's good. But do you have, do you work to have to give? Do you value Christ enough to give away your money? To meet the need, as he talks about? This value system was put on display in Macedonia. Another letter of Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 8, and this will be up on the screen. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, the value system changed. They gave themselves to God and then to others. And friends, I want to take a moment and identify God's grace in Risen Hope Church on behalf of the team going to Rancho 3M in a couple weeks, we have been recipients of your generosity. You have been so gracious. We have received over $10,000 from Risen Hope Church. Um, I just want to say thank you. And that is this verse in action. Some of you have given your bonuses, some of you have given sacrificially, right? It maybe hurts the bank account in a big way, but yet you have been generous. You have counted the cost, and you have chosen to give. And I'm eager for y'all to receive the grace that comes with that. Right? It is truly better to give than receive. And so, friends, we're called to put off the old self of valuing money over people, over others to placing other people above our own needs. And this is a gift to us. So let us continue to excel in this by the grace and power of God. Fourth point, new allegiance. So new allegiance. When we get to verse 30, um, Paul deviates from his normal pattern of put off, put on, and puts the brakes on in a really heavy, heavy and sobering statement. Read verse 30 with me. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grief means to experience deep emotional pain, sadness, i.e. severe sorrow, grief. It is very intense and hence even used of the pain of childbirth. And what grieves him? You could have debate about is it all the things that are coming before or after? It's all of it, Right? It's whenever we don't choose to walk in the life he has for us. It's whenever we choose the old man, choose to wallow in the rags that we once wallowed in. and We grieve the Holy Spirit of God who is in us. So when we say something with a tongue, sinfully anger, bitter, or exaggerate, you grieve the very God who saved you. And notice the connection with verse 27, right? The idea of letting Satan in. So you've got this letting Satan in while almost stiff-arming God, right? We're letting the wolf in and saying, okay, we don't need you, shepherd. That's the realities at stake when we choose the old man over the new. We are grieving God. And he is a faithful father. We are the kids that go kicking and screaming, Yeah, he holds us tightly. He loves us too much not to be grieved, right? If he didn't care, he wouldn't be grieved. But he is faithful to us. He holds on to us. And notice the last half of that, right? We are sealed by him for the day of redemption. His love is not temporary or fleeting, The living God has purchased us, is what the Bible says, and made us a new creation, given us himself in the Holy Spirit. Earlier we saw, and last week, that he has taught us Christ, and truth is in Christ. He has placed us in Christ. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and all of that is sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? It is sure. It is steady. And it's not just sealed for a time it's sealed for the day of redemption, right? When we will be perfect, when all the old rags will no longer be there, but rather we will be walking in the new man. He's faithful, faithful. So the same one who holds us so tightly, how flippantly do we turn on him? Friends, where do we need to be aware of God's presence and the way that we live our lives? Does it grieve him? Are you even aware when you grieve the very God who has saved you? Ask that question of yourself today. And if not, ask the Lord to show you why. Why is your heart so hard that you're not attuned to grieving the very God who has saved you, who has set his love on you, who will never leave you or forsake you? He's not like us. He doesn't turn on us throughout the day, Right? But we so flippantly turn on him. Point number five: we have a new relationship to others. I'm going to try to speed through this last one. We've got a lot here. Okay, read verses 31 and 32 with me. "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice." And then verse 32, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ." forgave you. First listed is bitterness. Dealing with the heart, right? This is the prison cell that we put ourselves in when we will not let go of our anger. So are you a bitter person? Is there church hurt that is festered in your heart? That keeps you from relationships in the church? Are you bitter? Do you have a list of wrongs that other people, your spouse, your children have committed against you? That you hold against them? That comes out in conversations, right? You start clamoring, as we'll see in a second, having a shouting match. Is that the way you live your life? Is there wrath or anger? Paul mentions these again for a reason. You notice the repetition? He dealt with anger. He gave us a reason not to be angry, and then he comes back around to it. Why? Because these are the things that destroy a church, and he says it cannot be with you. It cannot be among you. I was listening to Piper on this topic and he was talking about he doesn't think that money and sex are the two main things that tears churches apart. Well, he does think they're a big thing, but he thinks even more than that, it's anger. That anger and bitterness, and I can testify to that, are some of the most, if not the most, reasons that churches tear apart. So it's serious. We have to take it seriously. They're deadly to the soul, to the workplace, the church, You know, it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings, right? The idea of the ring is that it gives you power. That's why people want it. That's the draw to it. But what happens when you put the ring on? You actually are more not in control, right? Sauron comes in and puts his eye on you, and you may be invisible for a little while, but there's this draw, and he influences power over you. That's what anger and bitterness and wrath and all these things do to us. We think we're wearing the ring. The ring is wearing us, right? They're dangerous. They have no place in the people of God. They have no place in our lives. The other things are clamor, slander, and malice. I'm gonna go over this real fast. Clamor has the idea of a shouting match. Slander to vilify and lie about someone or attack their reputation. And malice, ill will against them. So it goes from the heart issues of bitterness, anger, wrath, to these outward reactions, right? We're shouting at each other. So where is this in your life, and where does it need to be put away? And then on the flip side, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Notice the call isn't to do something. If you're lost here today, and you think this is a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts, you've missed it, right? If you don't know exactly what Christianity is about, and you think Christianity is about do's and don'ts, you've missed the whole point. This is about God creating new people. We've been changed. We are to be kind. We are to be tender-hearted. right We're to be forgiving one another. This is who we are. This is the new person. And then how do we get there? How do we get from the, the angry person to the tender-hearted person? How do we get from the hard-hearted person to the tender-hearted person? Well in verse 24 it says that we are called to renew our minds. And verse 32 tells us what to renew it with. The end of verse 32. Right? God in Christ forgave you. We are to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. You who deserved hell, you were in rebellion against him, you were his enemy, the God who is holy and his wrath could be perfectly poured out on you and judged for all eternity, forgave you. It's the overflow of His love. His perfect patience being poured out on you. His tenderheartedness, His kindness resulting in your forgiveness, right? His tenderheartedness towards us is what results in our forgiveness. So how do we go from hardhearted to tenderhearted? What do we do when we fail, right? In the day-to-day when we wish we were putting on the new man and we really picked up the old man? What do we do we cling to the mercy of the cross and the savior who died there on your behalf we ask for his power and watch as he replaces our old garments with the new so risen hope church what do you want to be like in 10 years if you looked in that mirror and 10 years down the road what do you want it to look like and more importantly what does god want risen hope to look like in 10 years and this would be the answer. A tender hearted people walking in the power and the presence of the Spirit, helping each other look more like Christ. And friends, each one of you are a part of that. Each one of you affect that. This is a letter to a church of individuals who are called to this mission. This is your mission. This is the mission God has given us. So, friends, that's a lot. But what is one area? One part of the text that God is calling you to repent, to turn, put the new man on. Take home one. In your D groups, discuss one thing. We don't want to run over, run past what God is doing in our hearts. It can be easy to hear these things and then walk out and not be doers of the word, resting in the gospel. So what is one thing you can take away? And maybe you look at this list and you're like, that's not me at all. I've never experienced the new man. I've never experienced any of those things, the putting on this. I'm really the old man. You've never truly been born again. You're broken and you know it. Don't know Jesus. Not been transformed by him. Today is the day that you can turn. You can turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Right? He is tender hearted, forgiving us if we come. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you care about us, that you don't only give us do's and don'ts, you give us gospel motivation, that we are your children, that we have been purchased by the blood of Christ, that you have paid our price on the cross, that we don't deserve it. Lord, and I ask for this church, as for Risen Hope and for the visitors who are going back to other churches that they would be means of grace to their church. That bitterness and anger and clamor and malice and slander would all be put away but rather that they would walk in the tenderness of heart towards each other. That they would be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Lord, may I be that person, may we be that people filled with your Spirit So, Lord, empower us by your spirit for the glory of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Real fast before we dismiss, you've got pizza.